Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor at Glen Home Bible Church, and you're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, October 31st, 2021. Hey everyone, I'm Grant Armstrong. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin. And I'm Kelly Brady. I serve as senior pastor here at the church. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast. Morning. Morning. What's up? Hello. Good to see everybody. Grant, welcome back. Thanks. It's been a minute. Yeah. Good job yesterday. It's great to have you on the podcast again. Thanks. Appreciate it. It was fun to fun to get up yesterday. Grant, how was preaching. Halloween for you yesterday? <laughs> it was great. Uh, no, we had fun. I got, you know, a little bit of uh, questions afterwards about how much I enjoy Halloween. But uh, in general, I should clarify, mm-hmm. I'm with you on the... Celebration of evil? Yes. <laughs> that it's off-putting to me, and I'm a bit, you bit confused by it. So Did people give you grief for giving me a hard time? Um, there were some questions. So I, you know, to be fair, people like, probably don't, yeah, people don't necessarily see our relationship um, outside of Sunday morning, and so they're yes. probably like, yikes. Um, but no, I'm with you. Some of the, the people uh, scared my boys while we were out trick-or-treating yesterday, and I wasn't sure what do you, what do you the point mean? of that. Dude, they were scary, over the top, some of these houses. Well, but, but, but like they intentionally tried to scare your kids, or they were just scary, and so your kids were scared? Yeah, yeah, yeah. More of that. Okay, but I, okay. I don't know how you could dress up that way, not knowing that the young kids that will you're be scared. Going to frighten yes. little ones. Yeah, their house yeah. looked like a haunted house. Did you skip any houses? See, I would skip yeah, the, the yeah, crazy houses. Yeah, we kind of do. Okay. Sometimes the older kids, they're just into the candy thing, so they go up there. But my younger son, he was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's fine. But yeah. anyways, yeah. Halloween was fun. Yeah. Did you did you um, you do Halloween on the South Side? Your new your no. new your new place. You nah. go you go with friends, so you're going somewhere else. Yeah, or? we go up to I think it's seminary or whatever. They block the street off in, in oh, North really? Side of Wheaton. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, we just yeah. Kind of Wheaton Avenue. Down. Did yeah. you do Wheaton Avenue? Yeah, yeah maybe that's what yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know the streets. I on the heard North others side. were going to go to Wheaton Avenue. Is it like a yeah? They block off multiple blocks worth and then it's just a free-for-all i mean i i had so many questions as to why i was alone where where were my kids i'm like they're around here somewhere streets are blocked off it's good times it actually is nice because then you're not worried like oh our car's running through if my kids dart out the street which you know i try to avoid but i heard one parent their uh hot tip was putting those apple tags on their kids Mm. and so when they ran away Mm -hmm. they just find them on their phone i don't know it's probably not how i would operate but i was like there you go i guess it's solving a real world problem right there (laughs) Well, yeah, we didn't have many Halloween was, kiddos. Sorry, my pack went out. Uh-oh. How come you have so many audio issues, Okay, Matt? here we go. Do you no, I dropped it. Do you stage and get I a dropped it. cable? I threw it down like Simone throws mic down. <laughs> um, I was super grateful for, uh, Kelly, for your family. and um, It's not me. It's Sherry, honest. right. Wait, wait, I'm trying what to give it, you a little credit. Yeah, what does it look like over there at the well, Brady so, household? Okay, so well, what it looks like, Halloween for our family is uh, challenging mm-hmm. because of allergies. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Jennifer goes to all of the houses on our block beforehand and hands out candy to give to our kids. Ah. So, which, you I know, I mean, I think as... Yeah. Um, Do your kids know uh, she does this? Yes. Okay. But they're getting candy, so they're yeah. kind of like it's kind of like Santa. It's kind of like we know you guys are Santa, but what we'll, are the yeah. ages we'll, we'll of your kids along. again? 15. So they're nine, nine, seven, and <laughs> nine, seven, three, okay. right yeah. or four? Sorry. So, um, so yeah, so they go and they get the candy, and, and they're fine. I mean, you and know, they're pumped. He's he 
as he's getting older, he's, you can see him starting to get a little more bummed about it mm. um, because the, all of his peers mm-hmm. are just running to every house, yeah. right? But um, At the Brady Sherry household. really upped the game last year. She likes to give them gifts. It's like Christmas. Aww. Yeah, and it's so yeah. thoughtful. It was really cool. She does. She Bibles it. and, and so... <laughs> 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 awesome. Scripture calendars. Who doesn't want that at it, seven? It was right. Reformation Day, so That's, she's just I celebrating. What overcomes evil, but Jesus himself. So. Yeah. Awesome. No, it was really cool. So we... Um, and then we went later on. So there's a, um, and I just want I just want to plug this. Um, hopefully they're a good organization. But there's an organization called the Teal Pumpkin Project. Mm. And so if you've noticed mm-hmm. teal pumpkins right. out in front of houses, that means that they are out an allergy safe place. So they may hand out little toys or trinkets or whatever, or maybe allergy safe candy. And there's an app, and you. So we do that. We That's look at great. the app. We look at all yeah. of the the homes that have teal pumpkins, mm-hmm. and we go to them. So we went to one last night, who's actually a friend of ours. And oh my gosh, she had. So much stuff. Like the kids were almost crying. Like they were just like, this is like Christmas. They were like matchbox cars and, and everything. And she was like, take as much as you want. Yeah. You know, not many people have been here. Like, you know, no one else is coming tonight. So take whatever. And so, I mean, they they had their bat, they had their uh, uh, their pumpkins <laughs> loaded to the brim with stuff. And <laughs> it was fun. it was as if they went like any yeah. other kid. Yeah. So it was. And so they got home and they, mm-hmm. you know, they spread their candy out all over the floor like. Any other kid, and then you taxed it cool. appropriately. Then, exactly. I, I looked through and found the good stuff. Now, the stuff it was that great. might have needles or any of those things. Oh my gosh! <laughs> in the eighties, we were that. we were worried about razor blades in the eighties. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I actually anyway. poisoned candy. Neither here nor there. You never took the remember the the candy that was like generic and it was just black or orange. Remember yep. that candy? It was disgusting, by the way. Took that candy. Really? That was delicious. Oh, I hated that stuff. That was like the last thing we'd consider eating. Oh my gosh, those are the ones that had razor blades. Okay. Um, Let's uh, move on to some (laughs) questions. (laughs) (laughs) No, so um, anyway, one last thing. Did you see that the, uh, that, did you notice that that big massive skeleton in our neighborhood fell down? No. Mm. It did last week. It fell down. Hmm. I drove by Like a statue of Baal down on its face. (laughs) Well, I noticed the head had come off. So they put it back up. They put it back up. (laughs) Sounds gruesome. (laughs) This this skeleton is is it is literally bigger than their house. It's taller than the It's as high as their I never went and found it. That's crazy. Yeah, so people have taken to taking pictures of the grotesque decorations and sending them to me. (laughs) They're like, you haven't seen nothing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Kelly, look at this one. Note it in your next sermon. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's get into some questions. Um, and actually, the first question is for Kelly. I think most of these questions, Grant, will, will it's help It's a holdover up. from... Because, yes, it, it is, it's a question about um, this, the series overall of Revelation. And it was from last week, which Kelly was out. So let's, uh, let's get into it. Revelation is one of the most complex, strange, and confusing books of the Bible for me. I've struggled for many years, for many years with trying to understand and wrap my mind around most of it. While I appreciate the preaching on this series so far, on the whole, many of the application points are similar to those from the other books of the Bible. I'm feeling like I haven't gleaned new insight into the details I struggle with inside of the book. Are we intentionally avoiding the super weird stuff for a reason? Are we going to get there? Thanks so much. No, uh, I'm not intentionally avoiding weird stuff. For example, on I read the entirety of Revelation chapter 12, which describes a dragon attacking Israel in order to prevent the Messiah from being born. So I'm not intentionally avoiding weird stuff. I think I'm hitting a lot of weird stuff. Uh, I am avoiding what I would describe as speculative stuff. Those elements of the book which are hidden from our complete understanding, uh, which isn't to say we can't understand 
uh, much of what is weird, but there's some stuff that I think it's, it's at best speculation. For example, speculating upon the nature of the mark of the beast, specifically how it will be implemented, rolled out, and whether it'll be lit, a literal tattoo of 666 on someone's hand and forehead, or a more subtle or hip digital application, I don't think that's helpful from the pulpit. Um, which brings us to my philosophy of pulpit ministry. And I don't know it's, if I've ever shared this. Um, the elders are aware of it. It's a part of the shepherding manual that each elder gets. Um, but the pulpit, from my perspective, is intended for the clearest proclamation of the gospel. That's the, that's the goal first and foremost. In fact, I take it as a comfort, kind of an attaboy, that the listener uh, feels the applications have been in line with other books of the Bible. In fact, there should be a coherent unity, book to book to book, in Scripture. Uh, so the pulpit is intended, I believe, for the clearest proclamation and not for speculative interpretations and applications. So there is a lot of confusing stuff in the book of Re Revelation, and speculation would be all that I could offer in many cases. I have my opinions. They might be right, but they're not worthy of pulpit time. Remember, we only get 52 hours a week together as a church, all gathered. We get time together in women's Bible study, men's Bible study, small groups, but all gathered together. We get 52 hours a week, and I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, 52 hours a, a year, right. 52 weeks, an hour each week. So generally speaking, when preaching, I, my, my rules generally are I never try to evoke an emotion. I don't help resolve with the Word of God. Have you ever been in a, in a worship service where an, uh, an emotion is evoked and you're left to battle with it on your own? Mm -hmm. I find that spiritually abusive. I never try to ask a question that I don't help answer with the Word of God. And I never, I, I, my goal is to declare, is to declare the truths I'm most certain about in that time period. Exam, I'll give you one example. Uh, I know a well-known pulpiteer who will remain na nameless, who spent an inordinate amount of time combating from the pulpit Obamacare, hmm. saying it was socialism, when I can't find anywhere in Scripture that a particular uh, style of government is affirmed, or economics for that matter. Now, don't get this wrong. I'm a capitalist, I like capitalism, but that's me, that's Kelly. And to use pulpit time to denigrate socialism, I think is abusive. Hmm. And it's, so the clearest teachings of scripture I think are to be you are, are are what the pulpits for. If you have lots of questions, and folks, I have lots of questions about Re the Book of Revelation. I would encourage you to go to the education class that's offered. Uh, they are uh, for adults. They're making their way slowly through the Book of Revelation. And I'm not pros promising they would answer all your questions either, but you will get an opportunity to dialogue and chew on these questions with other people. I'd also Encourage you to buy a book, and if you want a recommend, recommendation on a book, I'd be happy to provide some titles as possibilities. But I hope that's helpful. I, I yeah. won't, you know. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, so. Uh, are you saying that you're just with overall pulpit philosophy um, that you're not comfortable with saying, uh, "Hey, so this is what I think this means," and I'm not talking about Revelation, but just something in general. But 
I'm not 100% sure. There's other commentators, other pastors, other you know theologians who have said this. I encourage you guys to read it, pray about it, and figure that out. I have done that in the past. I think it is... Um, it's less my style. So let's take, yeah. um, let's take uh, Miraculous Gifts. I, I have, in fact, on, in my office, I'm, I have a, a stack of books, and the books are, are along this line, Four Views of Miraculous Gifts. And then there's another book, Four Views on Women in Leadership. Then there's another book, Four Views on Genesis 1 and 2, The Creation Narrative. And then there's another, I mean, you can get, there's a series of books that outlines all possible perspectives right. on uh, debated topics from Scripture. I don't think that's the best use of pulpit. You can spend a lot of time talking about other people's views. And frankly, where does that stop in the pulpit? Yep. So I try to spend pulpit time uh, presenting what I'm, what I, what I feel most passionate about, and and we believe as a church is um, uh, true. And so I, I will say, hey, not everybody agrees with me on X. There's also a Y per- perspective. I just, and I used to do that when I was younger, um, but when you only get f- 52 hours a year together. Yeah. You're yeah, intentional. Yeah. I am, and I yeah. and I and I have some passion points. And would you would you also agree? Would you say this that Sunday morning should not be the only time you're spending time in Scripture? Good point. Yes, absolutely. So, I, I love this question. I, th- I think it. I'm so. I'm, I see the heart behind it in a sense of. I want to know more. There's right. so many. There's so many unanswered questions about Revelation, yeah. and to encourage that person, like you said, there's commentaries, but also spending time and and developing your own um, rhythms and mm-hmm. consistency of how to be in the word, how to study the word. I mean, learning yeah. how to study the word in and of itself is a practice. So, um, well, and, and books are different, right? Like mm-hmm. we spent how long in Luke? Right. After yeah. Luke, it felt like I know weeks. Luke well. Mm-hmm. And so maybe going into this Revelation series, you kind of thought like, man, I'm, I Good really point. want to know this book totally well. Totally different like, books. I think like you're Luke, right. I think like, you're right. Mm-hmm. We're not going to... And Colossians too over the summer did a right. whole book in a the shorter time. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. I think you're right. And, and the person, whoever this is, is, is not alone. I've gotten feedback from others. They were wishing for more, um, uh, a drill, a deep down, a deep dive. Into. Well, we all want to know Revelation better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> let me, let there, me point, this might know, bother some people, but this is the, pa- want, but. this is the place to bother people. I think, <laughs> um, you, when you go back to the old Testament and you read, let's take, for example, um, Isaiah 53 and the description of who Christ is. Um, it is the case that uh, the Jews who, who received Isaiah's uh, prophecies and read them for centuries didn't fully understand uh, the messianic fulfillment. They, they read it. And I think in a similar fashion, it, it may be arrogant for us to say, that we will fully understand the book of Revelation. There is a yet-to-be-seen nature For sure. to the yeah. fulfillment of that book, and I'm okay grappling with it and wrestling with it and having my personal opinions, but I do think those are you know, for living rooms and small groups and for Sunday yeah. school classes. And, and I mean, if you, if you want to know all of the different you know, uh, uh, ways to go, especially with Revelation and end times, those types of things, a, a good systematic theology book mm-hmm. will give you all of yeah. that, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. Grudem's yeah. or Erickson's yeah. or who I like. Yeah, if you wanted book recommendations, don't don't hesitate to ping us and send us an email and 
we'll do our best to. All right. Well, let's move into um, questions about yesterday's sermon. So next one, I wrestle with whether I am asleep like Sardis and actually in jeopardy spiritually, or if I am simply wrestling with sin, doesn't everyone wrestle with sin to some degree? Um, First, I love this question. I think it's a a really valid um, response to the sermon, so I appreciate someone asking for clarity on it. Um, My gut says, if you're asking this type of question, you're probably not asleep. Mm -hmm. Um, The categories of people that I would say were asleep are those who are unmoved. They don't have any sort of desire or responsiveness to Jesus' words, the preaching, um, but the fact that they're, they're sensing something and then following up on it uh, with a question, I would say, uh, you're probably awake. So um, I wrote in my notes, it, people who are actively wrestling, they're, they're never asleep. Like I've, I've never wrestled somebody while I was sleeping, right? And um, a, a little facetious in, in that, but um, if you care enough to be troubled, hmm. you care enough to indicate that you're awake, at, at least... You know, I suppose there's specific situations where maybe someone is. Um, but again, it's the people who have grown cold or can disregard Jesus and his words that I would say are in danger of being asleep. And I think those are the ones that Jesus is primarily talking to in his letter to Sardis. Um, we also know that we won't obtain perfection on this side of life. So um, so I, th- I think that is a, a valid kind of are we all wrestling with sin to a degree? Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think we're called to run that race and continue to struggle and submit ourselves to God's commands. Um, when we fail, when we sin, that we repent and turn to, turn to Jesus and claim his, his victory in our life. Um, and I think yesterday, that was a little bit uh, my hope in the story I mentioned about my oldest son, Tucker, and his desire to be perfect, um, that I think as we cultivate our love for Jesus, that he brings about this sanctification in our life. Um, and my desires for sin, the appeal of sin, really diminishes pretty significantly. Um, the more in love with Jesus I fall, the less, the less interested I am in sin. And I start to understand to a much higher degree that it's not something that's fun, that God just you know, randomly chose to put on the, the list of like fun things you can't do, um, that these are things that actually bring about death and destruction in our lives. That's good. And as I trust God's love for me more and his character, even if I can't connect the dots of why he said no to this particular thing, I can trust him in that. And then as I mature in my faith, I begin to see how the, those dots connect. So um, yeah, that that's kind of, I guess, how I would generally, generally respond to to that thought, um, I don't know if, if anyone else has other things to add there. No, covered it. Good. <laughs> Boom. It's good. Let's go to the next one. A couple of questions here. What do you think it means that some had soiled their clothes in Sardis? And how might we avoid doing similarly? Yeah, a fair bit of reflection in the different commentaries that I read on what the possible meaning of soiled clothes was. Um, and the promise, if I remember correctly, is that they'd get re- receive white garments from Christ. Yes, the people who were... That, was that a one-for-one? One? Yeah, essentially it's, it's those who um, remained... Those who were awake would walk with Christ in those white garments. Mm. Um, in this passage, John notes later on in uh, Revelation seven fourteen. Uh, he, he actually says the people who 
have white garments. He kind of unpacks a little bit more. These are the people whose garments have been soiled in the past, but have been washed by Jesus' blood. Hmm. That those are the people who are victorious. So it's it's not crediting them by their own righteousness. It's it again is because of Jesus' work and our trust in that work that we can be um, counted as victorious with with Christ. So. Um, at the time, and I think especially in this passage, this, this is why this is important. At, at, uh, culturally, at this point in time, um, wearing white garments was this um, practice that people had as they came back from battle and they were victorious. So they'd walk through the streets in these kind of white robes, and it was this declaration of their victory. Um, so the idea of a soiled garment was really, it kind of highlights a comparison for the readers of the time of someone who has not been victorious. They've, they've opted out or they've compromised um, their witness in some way. And I would say in this passage specifically, that's what the, the soiled garment is referring to. Um, that they were, they know people, these people no longer had a white garment um, because they chose to ignore God's invitations and his, his calling. So it, it's more of a metaphor for a compromised or a silenced witness. Um, and people who didn't reject uh, potentially cultural additions to the gospel message. That's good. And then how might we avoid doing similarly? Yeah. Um, this question I would say probably has a few different answers or a few different directions we can come at. Um, I would say that first, as I noted earlier, Revelation 7, um, this is not in our own power. All the things that we're able to do, it's because Christ hangs on to us. It's on his strength that we are following after him, that we are submitting ourselves to him. Um, so trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross, I would say, is the first and foremost element there. Um, secondly, I would say, as we encounter things culturally that have an allure or a promise, or it sounds similar to something that Jesus has promised, meaning um, this brings wholeness, or this will bring healing, or this brings purpose in our life, that we should compare those ideas to Jesus' message specifically. And if, if they fall short of what Jesus is calling us to, um, most often I would say our death to self and maybe death to our more base desires, um, or if they contradict, contradict Christ's words in any way, then we have to reject those messages um, or at least the reasoning behind them. So there are some things culturally where the, the ends may be in agreement with what Jesus calls us to, but the means would be very different. And so we have to wrestle through some of those pieces. Um, but we want to make sure that the things that we are adopting, that we're claiming, fit fully in line with Jesus and don't just run similarly parallel um, to his calling or his commands. Um, Simone, you had your copy. Of I mean, it. I'm just, I am loving what you're sharing, Grant. And I, my takeaway was, um, I mean, I feel like this might be, hopefully this isn't too much, but the, the scripture, the, the, the verse that says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Um, that struck me mm. hard. And I don't want to take it out of context. I, yeah. and that's why I'm like holding on to everything you're saying because it's really helping me understand what this means. But I just think that this is something we strive for. We strive for, or maybe I should, I should strive for, speak for myself, but a reputation of being alive, mm -hmm. especially within the Christian context. I want to yeah, be known as absolutely. someone who 
is faithful and follows Jesus at all costs. Um, but sometimes that desire is overshadowed by obedience. And so the truth could be, I might have figured out how to have this reputation of being alive in Christ, but inwardly, I'm not addressing my sin. Inwardly, I'm not repenting and waking up to this call of, um, you know, you could be, you, you might be asleep. So I left yesterday seriously contemplating, which is why I missed the prayer with my 10-year-old. Another story. But um, seriously contemplating where I stand. You know, Jesus, show me if I am pursuing the reputation of being alive over the authentic desire mm, yeah. to be walked, to walk with you and be dressed in white and, and, and reveal to me where I stand. And the only other takeaway that I, that I had in relationship to this is, do we, do we pursue as Christians, not just Glenelg Bible, but like as a church, because if we're going to wrestle with that, we're going to all say, well, I've got some I've got some deep, dark stuff that's not pretty and that it might tarnish my reputation. And so do I want to be honest about that? And do we create a culture within the church that says, come, literally come as you are with your, with the things that might tarnish your robe because, um, we all have it. Yeah. And well, and that was that kind of, I actually, I left this, this line off of, um, in both my sermons and I kind of wish I wouldn't have, um, one of the things that I found hope in is this idea of our reputation doesn't save us. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't condemn us, mm. right? That, mm-hmm. that the reputation, those are, are things Jesus saves us from all of that. It's mm-hmm. the beauty of it, of me being saved independent of my own actions, good or bad, they're kind of cast to the mm-hmm. side. So, um, so the shame and guilt that we all carry, right. yeah, we don't have to let that define us either. It's interesting, uh, as, you, as you note or nuance that we're saved regardless of positive or negative reputation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean the reputation doesn't matter. Right. And how we gained it. And, yes. And the reputation we have may or may not be accurate. But in this case, it was Jesus's perspective on Sardis's reputation. Right. Thus, it was accurate. Yeah. Simone, it's interesting that you bring up reputation. I, you're a leader of a ministry in the community. And I, I think there is, and appropriately so, a a unique burden on those uh, like the four of us who mm-hmm. who need to model at a public level what it is to follow Christ. And I love that you're asking yourself, do I have a reputation that matches the reality of inside me? That's exactly. a soul's mm-hmm. reality. Mm-hmm. And and we should everybody should be wrestling with that because everybody exercises exercises influence, whether regardless of how broad the influence is, it may just be uh, it may be fairly small influence you act somewhat exercises just over children or over a spouse or friends, but we all want our reputation to reflect the reality of a love for Christ that we're growing on the inside. This question for me brought up Colossians 3. It's um, a verse that, um, a chapter that I've work to memorize off and on over the last decade, uh, Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then there's this little laundry list of what of sins that belong to our earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed. A lot of those sins are internal realities that we can keep hidden from people, not hidden from Jesus, not hidden from God, but hidden from others. And then in verse 12, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe. He says, clothe. And there's clothes. Sardis had soiled clothes. They wanted the white clothes that Christ would offer those who are victorious. Uh, Paul says here, clothe yourselves 
and he's about to give a little laundry list of the character of Jesus. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These are fruits of the Spirit, inevitably. So I, there is a putting off and putting to death things that would soil us that are apart from Christ, and there is a putting on, an engaging with clothes that represent Christ. And um, so it's true, our, our reputations, how did you say it, Grant? Would you say it again? Um, <laughs> I don't know Reputations I... <laughs> don't save us or, or condemn con- us. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, they can't so, save us or condemn us. Uh, but that's not permission to give no attention to whether or not our reputations are a reflection of the reality inside us. We are to be putting to death mm-hmm. uh, our sin nature. You brought that up. And we are to be putting on the character of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My last two points on that, uh, we kind of hit on it earlier, but because I'm a, a small groups pastor, I'm going to make sure I double down on it. Um, I don't think we do this well by ourselves. This is why I think doing life, both in kind of church community, showing up on a Sunday and hearing the word of God, hearing that truth spoken over us, that's really important. It's, it's one of the elements. But in a smaller group of people, um, friends or um, people that we, we go to church with who we really kind of share a lot of our life with those maybe uh, harder parts mm-hmm. of ourselves, mm-hmm. um, that they can help us sort through some of that stuff. Uh, I'll speak for myself and say, there are moments where I am more prone to self-deceit than I would like, that I, I would like to tell myself that I'm better off than I am, or I'm doing better than, than is real. Um, and I need other people around me who care about me and love me to say, hey, that's not how you should actually be living. Uh, the way you're engaging as a father or as a husband or as a pastor or whatever it is, um, it's not lining up with who you want, want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would say doing life in community with people is a really important piece. And then, uh, Simone, you mentioned this earlier, but really continuing to study the Word of God. Mm. I, th- I think it just, the longer over our lifetime that we um, put ourselves at the feet of Scripture, recognizing that my interpretation is not infallible, mm. but over time, as the Holy Spirit speaks to me through Scripture, um, that it will help me know uh, at least more closely what is true mm. and what is God calling us to. Um, so those two elements, I feel like, are a really essential component to us continuing on um, that path to wear white clothes, I guess, in, instead of just soiled clothes unknowingly. Like, how many times can we use the word soiled on this podcast today? <laughs> Dirty diapers, what always comes to mind for me. <laughs> All right, let's soil ourselves in the next question. <laughs> gross. Oh, yeah, okay. That was gross. It can you delete that? Either. No, I won't. Uh, okay, uh, next question. I think we were, I think you were spot on when you warned us that people should know more about our hope in Christ than our opinions about masks, vaccines, politics. But isn't it also the case that sometimes discussing cultural hot topics and political issues might help people get to know more about us as people of faith? Great question. Yeah, that is a good question. Uh, Yes. So I would not recommend that Christians back away from cultural hot topics. Um, I'm younger in terms of the demographic at the church, but I would say from my generation's perspective, and I generally um, refrain from criticizing big church in general, um, but the, the church in the U.S., if we can be kind of lumped into a group, I'd say some of the, the trouble that we're facing, in my opinion, is because we played the ostrich game and buried our heads in the sand. Mm. When I wish my parents' generation or their parents' generation had engaged with people and had actual conversations with them. 
and said, what, what's really behind these things? Where does Christ stand? Um, I don't think that was necessarily intentional, but if, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, I suppose. Um, and I would say there's a difference between us posturing and pretending we have a stance and then actually living that stance out. So um, one of the things that we wrestle with, I personally, as a family, is um, can we really call ourselves pro-life if we only care about it or we vote on that topic once every four years when it comes up in election cycle? Certainly that's an important part of the conversation. Um, but if that's the only time I invest myself in this like position I take because I, I kind of say it represents Jesus, I'm not really sure that I've actually held that position well. Um, so one of my litmus tests in how have I done this in a conversation, if I'm going to engage in a uh, cultural hot topic, is uh, did I share with the person the message of Jesus and not just my Jesus-informed, quote-unquote, political conclusions? Could that person that I spoke with relay back to me how the gospel is different, why it causes me to land on a difference of opinion, um, or do they experience me as disagreeable or shutting them down, someone who's not listening? I, I think they should at least experience compassion and care and be able to articulate why Jesus why the Bible, why Christians land differently, and how that position is a loving position, at least as I'm attempting to represent it. Um, you know, Kelly has a, a phrase that I found very, very helpful over time, and that's um, this idea of position versus posture, that our position can be correct, but if our posture towards others is aggressive or mean or off-putting, um, probably doesn't matter a whole lot. We at least put ourselves at a serious disadvantage. Um, and I'm not sure that's really what Jesus would have for us um, when we're trying to represent him. Yeah, that's good. Do you guys get in many political discussions? Yeah. Every single time I'm with my group of friends. Yeah? Yeah, it's constant. Not as much anymore. You know, I feel like in my 30s, like a ton Maybe, I don't know, maybe early, late 30s, early 40s. I was just, I was like, I, well, when he mentioned your, like my age and then you just said when my, I'm like, how old are you people? <laughs> I just turned 34 on uh, Thursday. 40. Oh, happy birthday. Thanks. 45. Yeah. Okay. I'm not even going to ask, but I know you're older 53. than 53. So. Oh, that's beautiful. Simone, how old are you? I am 41. <laughs> Two. 42. 42? I just turned 42. Yes. Oh. Happy birthday well, back to you. September. So, oh, but okay. you still find yourself in. But yeah, I mean, do, I just, do you think though that's kind of the nature of, the, of your job too? Though, like, are you in a lot of climates that are I wonder politically charged? Maybe, but I mean, I would say it comes up um, with friends regularly. I like talking about politics with people. I not because I have answers. I'm usually the question asker. Like, what does this mean, and how does this happen? And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess it would be hard to to be a. We, we just don't hang out with a lot of adults right now, you know, <laughs> other than our neighborhood, you know, just because of the ages of our kids. Yeah, that but, ranch road, it, they're not talking politics. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess it would be hard to not yeah. talk about to yeah. politics if you are having an evening with adults and no kids around, and mm -hmm. it would probably be hard mm -hmm. to not talk about politics, I guess. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things you said that I just, you know, I agree with you, but I think you also have to walk a careful line there is to say, like, you know, like you're, one of the issues you're struggling with is like, well, how pro-life am I if I only vote on it and I don't? The only thing about that that I have an issue with is like, that almost seems to, to communicate that 
in order for me to have a position and be passionate about it at all, I have to be fully engaged in that. Oh, sure. That's in that, fair. In that uh, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, there's a whole bunch of worlds. Right. Like, yeah, it would I'm, be exhausting, would, impossible I'm, to do all of Right. Like, I, I feel strongly about like what Simone does mm-hmm. and seeing an end to human trafficking. I'm not a champion for that cause. I'm not in that cause, but I feel strongly about it. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to go into there. Right. And to How many go battles can you fight? Right? I, f- I feel very strongly about being pro-life yeah. and would argue or debate or discuss with anybody about that. But I don't have a lot of bandwidth to be fully invested. Sure. And so I find, I find a lot of times that idea is an argument tactic yeah. employed by someone just yeah, trying to, to dismiss, to dismiss that's, you. That's totally fair. You know, I think... Um, that that's a helpful pushback. What I would say is um, that you're right and that we can't do everything for all people and all the causes. Um, but is my overall life and posture, uh, is my position on all things pro-life, is it, right? Have I not just like landed on the easy position? Because we can eat... We, and it, it's harder to nuance, so I guess it takes a lot of reflection in that community helping us. But I can just say I'm pro-life and then really not care. It's easy to sure. like take a play the party line. You could have a reputation. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah. feel like what you're saying is like if you're being a a butt about yep. it. Yep. If you are beating people over the head with yeah. your point of view, all and and you're not going above and beyond. Right. Or you then are, are you just trying to win an argument? Yeah. Or and when, really when the chance is there, right? Like I, I can't do everything, but when I do have the chance to engage, and it's like a very reasonable way of engaging a pro-life position or human trafficking or anything else, yeah. instead of letting it be an inconvenience for me or it costing me a little bit of money from my bank account, um, do I lean into it or do I just kind of say like? I don't, that's for somebody else. It's not my fight. Um, so it, it's really looking for some consistency there and, and for the opportunities, yeah. but kind of across the board. So yeah, yeah I, as I guess a Christian, you should be making time to pray about whatever you're passionate about because we all have time to pray. We all have time to make time for prayer about passion points. That would, that would be one area I would, yep. you know, yep. Yeah. Consistency was a good word to use. I think that's another p- takeaway from this past: consistency and authentic. Mm-hmm. Those are the t- those are the two things that I make me go inward. Am I consistent and am I authentic in yeah. my home life, my work life, my church life? You know, is it all my different people and different groups? That's it's good. and that falls in line with am I voting consistently and authentically with what I'm saying or what, how I'm living my life. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I actually so wanted reflective. to go back to, cause you never said anything about the politics question, Kelly. Yeah. Do you, um, I find, do I you find, find as you get older, do you find less and less? Cause we all know older people who um, <laughs> are super in, charged about politics. I personally, I don't want to be that old guy. That's just like the world's going to crap. Everything's going to, you know, like, I don't know. Do you find your, do you intentionally? No, on behalf of the older guys. Yeah, I'll be the old person. <laughs> when I was thinking older, though, I was thinking someone much older than you, to be Please fair. Please don't put an age to older. Like, <laughs> like two years beyond him? Or? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I probably get in quite a few political discussions. Um, you know, um, race is, is one. I'm, you know, I'm personally uh, digesting a lot on that topic and um, in dialogue on, you know, what is equality, what is equity, how are those different, had that conversation recently. Um, 
So, yeah, I think I get it in a lot. I, to be fair, you probably get prodded a lot more I than do. any of people us. Want people want to, to know what you think. Yeah. yeah. And, and you have kids right. who are... Prodding me. Yes, mm. who are asking those questions. And you're trying to probably prod them yes. to a degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all types of hot topics, yeah, debated in my home. And um, so, you know what I find personally is that I am... Um, I'm wanting to work hard at make uh, the gospel intersecting with politics. Mm-hmm. I'm wanting to figure out wh- what does the gospel have to say on an issue. And so when I'm in conversation, I'm bringing as best I can the gospel's perspective. And that takes a lot of work mm-hmm. for me. And, uh, and there are sometimes I have to say, gosh, I need time to think about that. So back to the posture issue, I, I really want, I want to be a blessing to people. I really believe truth sets us free. And I want, uh, the person of truth, Jesus, the man of truth to be a part of my discussions. And so I think Jesus has things to say about racism and life. Uh, the preborn and then the born who are born into poverty. I think, you know, I think uh, the gospel has a lot to say about sharing resources. I don't think it has much to say about socialism or capitalism, but I do think it has a lot to say about wealthy people caring for impoverished people. And so nuancing that um, is work. And yeah, I find, I find that the, it's really time consuming and energy depleting and what well, a good work. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't mean to be like, well, I don't talk about politics, but like, I'll just give an example. I had a friend come in a few weeks ago. Uh, we've been friends since eighth grade. One of the first guys I met, like my high school started in eighth grade. So he's the first person I met in high school, that kind of thing. Worked together in the summer, just, you know, oh, good friend came up and was up here for work. Uh, we, we went and hung out and had dinner. It would have been very easy to go right into a political conversation and just to talk about whatever. Yeah. I, I wanted to know how he was doing. Mm. Like, I wanted to know, I hadn't seen him for a couple of years. Like, mm. how are your kids? Man, dude, you had cancer. You lost a kidney. Like, how mm. are you doing? Mm. How has that mm-hmm. affected your, where are you spiritually? Like, I want to have those conversations. Like, yeah, we, I think you bring up a great, to what extent in our, in our communities, are politics a distraction from intimacy? Yes, yep. mm. right. It and can easily be the wall we like, throw up. Yeah. It's not weather, but it's, I mean, I find it like sports, finance, politics, mm. right? That, and I don't actually have to talk about myself or let anyone know those deeper, darker parts of me mm. because, well, let's just talk about the political yeah. figure or positions. Well, and a lot of times we just want to talk about po- politics so we feel better about ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Especially yeah. if you get in an echo chamber and you're like, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, you know, it builds you up. Mm. And I don't know. I just, yeah, I'm more concerned about What's going on in his life, man? How, how is he doing? So okay. anyway, okay, let's, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Actually, we'll be right back. On November 7th at 4 p.m., we'll meet as a congregation for a town hall meeting. The subject is to discuss the new multi-site vision. We want to become one church in two locations. Hope you'll join us. Again, that's November 7th at 4 o'clock. Bring your questions, bring your comments, bring your concerns. I expect a, a lively dialogue, and we're eager to share the vision with you. All right, let's go to the next question. These these are kind of off topic. These are just uh, kind of random uh, church culture issues, right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, good, good setup there. Issues. Good setup. Yep. 
Um, so with the church going multi-campus, has there been any thought on changing the name while keeping the Bible, in quote, name? Yeah, so the question asker uh, clearly has a preference that we'd keep the Bible name if we're going to change names or keep Bible in our name. So again, this has to do with the multi-site vision. Um, let me reiterate our little infomercial uh, during the podcast was on the November 7 meeting. Make sure that you come to that with your questions. And yes, there has been some thought along the lines of needing to change our name if we're multi-site. So I mean, if we if we put a campus in Winfield or in Elmhurst or, you know, Glenelg Bible Church isn't going to work real well. So um, the elders have talked about that. Uh, they're, they're, they realize, and um, I do think we would long-term have to have to get that done. And, I, you know, I, it's too early in the process to, to make any commitments about um, what that would be. But let's remember um, that... Um, yeah, that just as we're bigger than our names, individuals, you know, I'm bigger than the name Kelly. I'm it, who I am is is greater in scope than simply the name I have. Um, the same would be true for our church. So names matter; they mean something, but we're not confined by our names, and we'll wrestle with that, and we'll keep the congregation in the loop as we wrestle with that. All right, that's great. Is it great? Did I do good? Did I do okay there? Yeah. You think okay? Yeah. All right. Um, final question. I'd love to hear an update on how the church plant is going as we consider another campus. Could you give a short update on the podcast? Not sure if I can make it to the meeting. It's interesting. This person, I bet this, um, this person has been in Glowing Bible Church a little while because anybody that refers to the church plant is referring to something that took place in the year of our Lord, 2010. Mm. And so the first thing I would say is the church plant is no longer a plant. Mm. Uh, the churches uh, that we planted in 2010 is 11 years old now. Uh-huh. Um, so, and maybe you, can you just really quickly differentiate a church plant and a yeah? So a church site? plant when we planted the church in 2010, uh, we we sent out a, about 70 people. We sent out two staff members, and we we cared for them in some some distinct ways for about 12 months. We funded them at $10,000 a month for 12 months. And I sat on their elder board for 12 months. But at the end of 12 months, we cut the umbilical cord. And we, we didn't stop caring. In fact, there were, and we, we didn't stop praying, but we became two churches. They were their church and right. we were our church. They had is their- Is that st- kind of standard church plant model? It is. If you will. It is, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, as far as there is, as much as there is a standard. I mean, people right, are doing right. all, yeah, but yes. Um, a, a campusing model is, as it said in the video, we will maintain ongoing uh, connectivity. We'll be one church and, mul- and with multiple sites and one statement of faith, one constitution, one governance board, one elder board. Um, so, um, yeah, so the church planned... Uh, we cut the umbilical cord after a year, and they're doing really well. Uh, they haven't been without their challenges. They're a, they're a church of about 150 to 200. But before COVID, I would have said they were a church of 250. Uh, COVID was hard on smaller churches in a unique way, and it was hard on large churches in a unique way. Yeah. I would never have guessed that medium-sized churches, which I would describe us as, were kind of uniquely set for um, COVID. So anyway, they have faced some unique struggles coming back after COVID, but they're actually about, it looks like, to buy their own property after 11 years. 
If you know Church of the Res in, in Wheaton, Church of the Res, I believe, was at Glimbard West High School for 17 years. Didn't know that. It's really hard to run a church without your own building. We're in an ownership culture. We everybody wants to own their house, and no yeah. one prefers to live in an apartment and rent all their. And so it's the same is true with churches. It's it's a blessing to have our own property and to have I'll mention this property paid off. Mm-hmm. I uh, to be debt free is a is a real blessing and allows us to do some things. I met with somebody over the weekend who's on staff at a local church. And that is about our size, and they have three and a half million dollars debt. Mm. That's really hard. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. The, the church plant's doing fine. They're, they've weathered COVID. Looks like they're about to buy a property in Downers, and, um, which will set them up, I believe, for another season of growth and fruit. Okay. And so what we are doing is not a church plant. No, we're doing a campusing model. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Can't wait to learn more. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, you know what? And a shout out to Grant. Grant, I thought the maintaining of witness segue into the video was good. Thanks. I, you know, I would have changed some things. Um, Do you want to share them here right now? No, for everyone? no, I haven't gotten to you to share those, but and it it's really doesn't matter. It's lesser, but I do think it was a natural takeaway. The witness of Sardis, uh, they had fallen asleep. Yeah, and and if. You know, 80-year-old churches, many are closing their doors all over the nation. Mm. There aren't, and it's just like humans. There aren't many 80-year-olds having babies. And the same is true with churches. Many 80-year-old churches are just kind of holding on. Mm. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of life and vitality when we decide to engage the hard work yeah. of that. Yeah. We should be reproducing. Mm. That is the the... That is the discipleship way. Each of us should be sharing our faith. We should be growing. We should be bearing fruit. And the church as a whole, Glom Bible Church, needs to be doing the same. So I just, I thought it was good. Well done. Thanks. All right. All right. I think that's... uh, Yay, team. Yeah. Good job today. All right. Um, That's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for us getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Prophecy.